Well, it is certainly a privilege uh, that Paul has given to me to be able to proclaim God's word and his truth among you this morning. And uh, Paul had asked me about a week and a half ago if I would be able to uh, substitute for him. He was intending on taking the preaching day off, although he was intending on being here this morning. But I received word yesterday that uh, because of his fever and illness, he felt that it'd be best if he stay home so as not to infect the rest of us. Well, I give you greetings and extend to you peace and love in the mighty name of Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, and our present and future glory. You know, today is a significant day, and yes, it is most likely that we will gather formally as the Alliance Bible Church today for the last time in the year 2013, but that's not what I'm thinking of. And yes, it's true that the Bears are scheduled to pay, play the Packers later on today, but you know what? That's not what I'm thinking of. This day has very significant and personal meaning to both you and I. And the reason is because it represents the first day in the rest of our lives. The title of this message is Be Purposeful. Make the rest of your life count for eternity. You know, just about a week ago, I was speaking with Brother Kerry, who, along with his wife Reggie, lead our youth group. Kerry mentioned that a while back he had asked the young people a question, and the question went something like this How many of you have ever read something written by your great grandfather? that clearly expresses or reveals the driving passion of his life? Hmm. Quite a question, isn't it? True enough, we in the human race have goals and desires, dreams and aspirations. What is the driving passion of your life? Of my life? Have you ever considered your life objective? When you get to the end of your life, will you still value your life objective, objective as having been a worthy pursuit? Or will you come to the realization that the investment of your time, energy, emotions, and resources resulted in vanity and in emptiness and in loss? Do we have examples of characters in the Bible who lived with purpose? Well, what does the Bible say? I'd like us now to turn to the 11th chapter of Hebrews, starting um, in verse 24. So Hebrews 11, 24. And we're going to take just a few moments to review two Old Testament characters and get a glimpse of their sense of vision. I'd like to start with Moses, and so we'll be starting in verse 24 of chapter 11 of Hebrews. I'll wait till everyone has a chance to get there. Starting in verse 24 of Hebrews 11. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Considering the reproach or the dishonor of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. 
for he was looking to the reward. Boy, having been raised as a son of Pharaoh, Moses was, um, had the opportunity to um, have at his disposal many of the riches of Egypt, a powerful kingdom at that time. And what does the scripture say here? He considered, really, the uh, reproach of Christ as greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. For he was looking to the reward. He was looking ahead. He was looking beyond the here and the now. Boy, another great man of faith is Abraham. And if we just go back a little bit earlier in the chapter, um, I'd like to pick up in verse 8 and then read down through 16. Hebrews 11, 8. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed, um, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he lives, lived as an alien in the land of promise. He lived as an alien in the land of promise. He had received the promise, but was living as an alien yet. As in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. Interesting that they didn't put down roots, even in the promised land, did they? They were living as aliens. For he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith, even Sarah herself received ability to conceive even beyond the proper time of life, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore also there was born of one man and him as good as dead, because of his age, so to speak, at that as many descendants as the stars of heaven in number and innumerable, as the sand which is by the seashore. All these died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen them and having welcomed them from a, a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on earth. For those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. And indeed, and indeed if they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have had opportunity to return but as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their, their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Wow. Let's take a look at that city. And to find out about what that city is like, we're going to turn to Revelation. We're going to learn, look to Revelation chapter 21. And what kind of city has God prepared for them and for us. We're going to start looking at verse 8. We're going to, I'm sorry, at verse 1, and we're going to be reading through verse 8. Okay, that's Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 8. This is John. John had re received a revelation. This is a revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ about the events that were about to happen. Oh, not immediately but in, in the future. And so John records what he sees and what had been revealed to him. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, 
and there is no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. There's the city. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he shall dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be among them. And he shall wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there shall no longer be any death, there shall no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Right, for these words are faithful and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha, I am the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to the one who thirsts from the springs or from the spring of water of life without cost. He who overcomes shall inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. What a beautiful passage there that explains to us the future that is yet in store for us who know Christ. It is a source of rejoicing for us and it is a, a, a reward that is well worth pursuing. Amen. Well, the apostle continues in verse 8 and we see a great contrast between the blessing that is yet in the future for us who have been born again through the precious shed blood of Jesus and those who fail to submit to his love and receive his grace. And so in verse 8 we see, but for the cowardly and unbelieving and abominable and murders and immoral persons and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Here the term second death is used to refer to spiritual death. The first death referring to our physical death, the cessation of our tent here that houses our eternal soul that continues to live on for eternity. You know, here we see the lake that burns with fire and brimstone made mention of, but it really doesn't give us a whole lot of detail. However, if we turn back a few chapters and Reference Revelation chapter 14, we'll learn a little bit more about this eternal condemnation. I'd like to invite you to turn to Revelation chapter 14. And again, this is a prophecy and John sees what is yet going to happen in the future. The scripture has made reference to the Antichrist and to the false prophet, okay, the Antichrist being referred to as the beast. And so I'd like to pick it up in verse 9 of chapter 14. And another angel, a third one, followed them, saying with a loud voice, 
If anyone worships the beast, that's the Antichrist, and his image, and receives a mark on his forehead or upon his hand, he also will drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is mixed in full strength in the cup of his anger. And he will be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest day and night, those who worship the beast and his image and whoever receives the mark of his name. Here is the perseverance of the saints who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. Friends, this is a very sobering reality of the fate of those who do not know Christ. I don't know about you, but uh, there are times if I have an intense headache or if I have an earache or a toothache, and you know how painful sometimes uh, things can be in our bodies, and they may last, what, for a couple hours? And oh, the joy of the relief when God brings healing to us. Amen? But here the scripture says that those who receive the mark of the beast or worship him will be tormented with fire and brimstone and the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. Not just for an hour, not just for a day or a week or a year or a decade or a century, but forever. And they have no rest day and night. Sometimes if we're ill, we might uh, lose a couple hours of sleep. Maybe we can't get to sleep for the whole night. But there is no rest, day or night, for all eternity, for those who do not know Christ. And so I ask the question, is it important for us to have a life Objective. I believe that it is for two reasons. First of all, because of the implications that it will have in our lives personally. And second of all, because of the implications it will have in the lives of those around us who do not know Christ. Initially, as we consider a life objective, we may think that, well, of course then, my goal, my objectives should be to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. I think that that is a very worthy objective, but you know what? I think that there is a higher calling than that. And it focuses and centers around eternal life. You know, many times we think of eternal life as that which you know, extends beyond the momentary and into the future, But Jesus actually gives us a definition of eternal life and it's found, the definition that Jesus gives us is actually found as recorded in the Gospel of John, chapter 17. Uh, Many of you may already know that, but I'd like us to turn to that. This is Jesus when he's praying to the Father and this prayer is prior to his crucifixion. And it's been turned before as the um, 
the, the prayer of Jesus, the high priestly prayer, I think they refer to that, of Jesus Christ. And so he begins his prayer um, by saying, Father, the hour has come, glorify thy Son, that the Son may glorify thee. Verse 2, even as thou gavest him authority over all mankind, that to all, to all whom thou hast given him he may give eternal life. And this is eternal life. Jesus is about to give us the definition of eternal life. That they may know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. Isn't that a beautiful definition of eternal life? Eternal life is not some distant event that we enter into. It's a relationship. It's a relationship with the living God and Jesus Christ. And so I submit to you that to know God and to know Jesus Christ becomes our first and foremost priority of life. I believe that it's out of that relationship that comes all the abundance that flows out of our life and into the lives of others. In fact, Jesus not only gives us the definition of eternal life, but he establishes for us a purpose that he has in our lives. I think it's very clear when Jesus is speaking as recorded in John chapter 15, verse 16. Please turn with me and join with me as I read John chapter 15, verse 16. Again, these are the words of Jesus. John 15, 16. And so Jesus says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give to you. Here Jesus establishes a calling in our life. And friends, if you know Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, it is not because you decided one morning that you were going to turn to Christ, but Christ had his hand upon you and revealed himself to you and imparted to you faith that you might embrace him as your Lord and Savior. But it doesn't end there. See, Christ reveals his purpose for us. He said, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. Dear friend, if you know Christ this day as your Lord and Savior, his desire for you and for me is to bear fruit. You know, the only thing that's eternal in this world are souls. The souls of men and women and boys and girls. And the sobering truth is that every soul that has ever lived or exist, existed in this world and on earth is going to spend eternity in either one of two places. Either in heaven and in that new Jerusalem, praise God, that we just read about, or in the eternal lake of fire where there is torment. And so I ask you again, is it, is it important that you consider your life objective? You know, we've considered some Old Testament saints in terms of their vision for the future, but we also have an example in the Apostle Paul and I'd like us to turn to Philippians chapter 3 right now to a passage that many of us are so familiar with. But it really helps us 
gain a glimpse of Paul's heart, the Apostle Paul's heart, as he's writing to the church in Philippi. And we have this letter, which we call Philippians. And so we're going to be reading from Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 7. Sense the heartbeat of the Apostle Paul. And he says in verse 7, But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish in order that, that I may gain Christ and may fa- be found in him not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, in other words, through good works, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect. He's referring to maturity there. But I press on in order that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Boy, you think the Apostle Paul had a vision? Did he have a life objective? Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, the scripture is clear in 1 Timothy chapter 2. We read that God desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Well, we find encouragement, great encouragement from the scriptures as we see men who have demonstrated vision for the future, have lived with meaning, have lived with purpose. And I have a modern day example of people living with a purpose. It's a personal example. When I was in my late teens and 20s, if you would have asked me if I knew of anyone who, or if I knew what it meant to live seriously for the Lord Jesus Christ, I could have answered you yes. You see, I had the beautiful example of what it meant to live for Jesus in the persons of my grandmother and grandfather Pfeiffer, my my dad's parents. Grandma was a woman of faith. She had a simple, trusting faith and believed God for miracles. She was incredibly loving and humble and had a servant's heart and the gift of hospitality. My grandpa was a man who loved the Lord Jesus and was a man of the word. They walked the walk. They didn't just talk the talk. And as a young man in my mid to late 20s, I would get home from work occasionally, especially in the summertime, and I'd eat dinner real quick, and then I'd make the 35 or 40-minute trip to uh, north, the northwest side of Chicago where I would visit my grandma and my grandpa at their home. I would spend time studying God's Word with my grandpa while sitting around their small kitchen table. It was around this season of my life that when grandpa was about in his mid to late 80s, he said to me one day when we were together,
He said something to the effect, I never regret having lived for the Lord. If there was one thing that I would do different in my life, it would be that I would have served him more. Wow. You can imagine what kind of impression that made on me. Here it is. I was a young man in my Christian walk. And at that particular time and season of my life, God was doing a deepening and personal work in my life, drawing me even closer to himself. And I had just had a pearl of wisdom placed before me. I realized the significance of that statement. Here it was, a man whom I deeply respected had come to the end of his life And it seemed that he had been contemplating what really mattered and had come to a wise conclusion. I personalized this and realized that at that moment I had been given the privilege and opportunity to begin as a young man to live my life in such a way that when I got old I would have few regrets. The Apostle Paul said it in this way. We read in 2 Corinthians 5, verses 9 and 10, Therefore we have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. Paul continues to say, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done whether good or bad. We know that the Apostle Paul was a great evangelist and a church planner, wrote much of the New Testament. But I sense that Paul's uh, accomplishments were rooted in that he wanted to be pleasing to the Lord. Therefore, he gave himself to the Lord. And as a result of that, the giftedness and the calling of God in his life was an outflow of his submission and yieldedness to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And so we bring this message home. There may be some here who have never come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus himself says in John chapter 1, verse 12, but as many as received him, To them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. My friends, God does not wait for us to clean up our act and become righteous enough to the point where he can accept us into his family. For the scripture is very clear when it says in Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. God, knowing that we were wretched in and of ourselves, with wicked hearts, indifferent towards God, rebellious, independent, at the appointed time, sent us a Savior. And his name is Jesus. And Jesus himself lived with purpose. And we all know that purpose, don't we? He had his mind fixed on coming to seek and to save that which was lost. And that redemptive work 
that saving work was accomplished for you and I when Jesus bore his, our sins in his body on that cross. And so God fully accepts the payment which Christ has made on our behalf that we might be made his very own righteousness. Friends, if you have never known Christ as your Lord and Savior, the Bible says today is the day of salvation. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works that no one should boast. And many of you gave gifts this Christmas time and received gifts. And if you gave a gift to a loved one, you could have offered that gift and yet it was not in their possession until they did what? Until they accepted it, until they received it. And so today, Christ offers salvation. His redemptive work is sufficient to pay the penalty of your sins and the sins of everyone who has ever existed in this world or whoever will. And that gift is offered to you, friend. And yet there's one thing you need to do. Oh, it's not work for it. It's not prove that you're worthy to receive it. But it's to receive it. And as Todd said, accept it. Friend, you can do that in the quietness of your seat right now. When you go home, later on today, when you're in your bed tonight, or tomorrow walking around the block, wherever it might be, But I encourage you not to delay, for the scripture says today is the day of salvation. You know, perhaps others have never considered a life objective. You know, I was a part of a parachurch organization while I was going to college many, many years ago. And uh, for a couple weeks there, our leader was talking about objectives and life objectives. And so... He encouraged us to consider our lives and with Bible in hand and considering the scriptures that we had been exposed to and as we were reading to develop what does the scripture say concerning the value of life. And so in prayer and through uh, the study of God's word, I was able to come up with a life objective. Very simple, friends. Very simple. You know what? I don't think it's changed much since those days. To God be the glory. Perhaps others have had objectives, have had goals, and you realize that they need to be realigned with God's will and God's purposes in your life. You see, God has each one of us here for a reason today. And we have a very personal God and he desires to speak to to the depths of our heart that we might know life eternal and freedom and the liberty that is found only in our Lord Jesus Christ. And I encourage you to desire to please him in all that you do in heart and in word and in deed and in thought. Let God use your giftedness with which He has gifted you. Let him fulfill his calling in your life. Give yourself completely to Christ. You know, it does matter how we live because as I mentioned before, there are implications 
in my own life because we will all be presented before the judgment seat of Christ to be recompensed for the deeds in our body according to what we have done. But not only that, God desires us to bear fruit. And God desires us to proclaim him the excellencies of our Savior to those around us who yet do not know Christ. We do so by a life that is lived in godliness, in words that uplift and exalt the name of Jesus. We do so as the Holy Spirit anoints us to accomplish his purposes among a lost and dying world. Wherever you are in life, it is not too late to start. Don't let the enemy condemn you because of choices, perhaps, that you have made in your earlier days. There is beauty in God's grace. For we read in the book of Romans, chapter 5, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Well, perhaps you need to meet with God today, friend. Perhaps God has spoken to you. We're going to be singing a song. It's called, I Surrender All. And perhaps God has spoken to you this morning. I don't know your hearts. But I encourage you to yield in submission to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Give him all your life. Give him your talents, your finances, your abilities, your heart, your mind. In full surrender, present yourself to the King of Kings and let him use you for his glory. And let's trust God that he will use us as a body to reach many souls for Jesus Christ in the coming days.